Great to see you today. I want to talk about leadership, specifically servant leaders, because we have a problem in our world and in our country where we have people that are selfish leaders. doesn't mean that they're servant leaders. And when you don't have the right type of leadership, your family can suffer. If you don't have the right type of leadership within a church, the church suffers. If you don't have the right type of leadership in a government, the country suffers, in a community. You know, leadership is very important. You want, you want to have the right type of leaders. I think too long, for too long, we as even Christians follow the crowd instead of realizing that we're supposed to be the leaders. We're the ones that are supposed to set the pace. We're the ones that are, are supposed to influence culture into a healthier direction. And I don't think that most of the time we don't realize that God's called us to be a leader. Because in our minds, we think a leader maybe has to have a certain personality, certain qualities that maybe I don't think I have. But leadership is defined by influence. Who are you influencing? And you've heard me say this once before, but leadership is like you're taking a walk. And you might think you're the leader, but if you're taking a walk and you look around, no one's following you, you're not leading. And the way that they follow you is through influence. If you influence people and they start heading in that direction because of your influence, that's what leadership is. So you can see that no matter what your personality is, you can influence people. You can influence your uh, kids. Now you're leading them in a direction. You can influence friends. Now you're leading them in a direction. But a lot of times we don't have the right perspective of what a leader really is. There's three reasons why I want to focus on this. One is everything rises and falls on leadership. No matter what good idea you have, if, there's, if you don't have the leader that has the ability to pull it off, it's no more than a good idea. It will never happen. The best idea in the world is worthless if you don't have a good leader. Look at Proverbs 11:14. Without wise leadership, a nation's in trouble. We need leadership. We need wise leadership. And there is a shortage of servant leaders. Most leaders are self-centered. The difference is, sometimes we look at someone and think they're a great leader because of how many people are serving them. But it's the opposite. What's a great leader is, you look at how many people they're serving. It's about the person doing the serving. It's not about the person being served. And a lot of times, leaders aren't self-giving. They're not unselfish. They're not being servants. We need leaders in the media. We need leaders, of course, in churches and in government and entertainment, in sports, in the business world. We need people that are being ethical, honest, open, and influencing others down that road. And God's called you, whether you realize it or not, you're called to be that type of person. You're called to be a servant leader. Think me? Yeah. The moment that you said, God, okay, I'm, I'm willing to follow you, that makes you a servant leader. That's what you're called to do. It doesn't mean that you're doing it. But that's what you're called to do. So now my life is supposed to influence others in a healthy direction? Yeah. Yeah. Is my life supposed to influence others to love God? Yeah. Is my life supposed to influence others to love their neighbor? 
to do good to others? Yeah. The things I say, the way I act, the things I do, that's what we're called to be as a believer in God. And when you read the Bible, you see that God sometimes uses a teenager to be a leader. Sometimes it's someone very old. Sometimes it's a woman. Sometimes it's a man. Sometimes they're rich. Sometimes they're poor. Sometimes they're really highly intelligent. Sometimes they're just average. As you read through the Bible, you see all these people. Sometimes they've already retired, and then that's when God uses them at all different types of stages of your life. So when you read the Bible, it will bust any idea that anybody has of what a leader looks like because every one of them is different. They're not the same. Different ages, everything. They're all different. So we realize leadership is about influencing people in the right direction, saying, God, what do you want me to do? And then doing it. We lead by example. We lead by what we say. In Romans 6, 13, it says, give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purpose. That's what a leader is doing. You're saying to God, okay, I'm giving myself completely to you to be used by you for your purposes. And his purpose is to change the world, to make the world a better place, one life at a time. And sometimes we even fall into the trap, even though we believe in God and we believe the Bible, we'll catch ourselves falling into this trap to think maybe like politics. That's what's going to change culture. Well, first of all, politics in America moves very slowly. And one person can stall something. And you can even pass a law, but it doesn't mean that you've changed the hearts of the people. There's a lot of laws. When I go into other countries, I've been to a lot of third world countries where it's against the law on paper to bribe the police officer. On paper. But when you get pulled over, what you do is you bribe the police officer. That's what everybody does. In fact, you get more in trouble if you don't than if you do. But on paper, it's against the law. But they pull you over and you say, okay, uh, he says, you can give me $40 now, or you have to pay $200 at the court, and so you give him $40. The law says, don't do that, but there's never any punishment for it. You only get punished if you don't do that. He'll be harder on you because he wants your 40 bucks. <laughs> he doesn't want it to go to the state. You can't rely on politics to change culture. That's why God's called us to change the hearts of people, to influence the hearts of where people think, what they do. One of the greatest leaders in the Bible is Moses. God used him to take over a million slaves and free them and start a nation. That's incredible. That would be really, really a hard job. God used him, gave him the Ten Commandments, which most laws today, even 3,500 years later, our laws are still pretty much based out of those same Ten Commandments. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Why did God choose Moses? Why did God use Moses as a leader? Well, we see some of these things in Hebrews. If you look at the verses, I have them in the notes. They're on the screen. Or if you have your Bible, Hebrews eleven twenty three through 27. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born 
because they saw he was no ordinary child. They saw that he was special. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Can you imagine this? Here's what the king said. All Jewish-born boys are to be murdered or to be killed because he was afraid. The Jewish population, they were in Egypt, and what happened is they were getting larger and larger and larger, and he was afraid that they would end up taking over Egypt. So if we kill all the boys, then as the women grow up, they only have Egyptians to marry, and then there is no more Jewish population. It's done. Problem solved. So this is the way he thought. Can you imagine that? Kill all the baby boys. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. So there's four things in here that you're going to find about him that talk about how we're called to be a leader, how you and I are called to be a leader. To be a leader, God uses, number one, you must know your identity. Leadership begins with understanding yourself first. How can I influence you? How can I lead you if I don't even know who I am? It starts with your own self-awareness. Coming to grips with my background. Coming to grips with my strengths. If I'm going to lead you, it helps for me to know what I'm good at doing and what I'm not good at doing. So I can focus on what I'm good at doing. I can get support from others that are good in those areas that I'm weak. If you have this idea to be a leader, you have to have things together, you have to be perfect. You're never going to lead if that's the case because nobody's perfect. We all have weaknesses. You lead with your strengths, but you need to be aware of what your weaknesses are so you can compensate them with other people to help you, to assist you. Moses had this identity crisis. Who am I? Am I a Hebrew slave or am I Egyptian? Here's what happened. So the king said, we're going to kill all the baby boys. So his parents put him in a basket, hide him in the Nile River. But that's the same river that a Pharaoh's daughter bathes in. So she goes to her bathe, and she can hear a little baby crying in the reeds over there. So they bring him over, and the Bible says it was a really beautiful baby. And you know what she said? This must be one of the Hebrew babies. They're hiding him so he won't be killed. Oh, he's so cute. I'm going to take him home. And she took him home and adopted him. But he grew up knowing that he was Hebrew, adopted into the royal family. So this was a break for him. So he lives his life raised in the palace of Pharaoh. And now as an adult, he has to decide, who am I? I see all these people that are really my ethnic background, and they're all slaves. But I'm living here in royalty. He wasn't just living like an Egyptian. He was the very best of the Egyptians. He's living in Pharaoh's castle in his palace. Am I going to pretend to be Pharaoh's grandson and ignore that all my real relatives are suffering? Or am I going to leave fame? Am I going to walk away from fortune, comfort, my career? I'll lose that opportunity to have a pyramid named after me. 
you know, I'm going to lose luxury. So do I admit, no, I'm really Jewish? Or do I say, no, I'm adopted. I'm Egyptian. If I'm Jewish, I'm going to be disgraced, humiliated. It's a life of misery. What am I going to do? Which one would you choose? Think about that. Would you really be willing, even though it's your people out there, would you be willing to walk away from all the things that this world has to offer you, all the good things, to be a, hang out with slaves, to be beaten, to go through what they went through? Moses was a man of integrity, and he said, I can't live this lie. I can't live like this anymore. I can't pretend that everything's okay when I know I'm Jewish. I know I'm Jewish. And I know that that's how they're treating the Jews. But because of my good fortune of being adopted by her, I've got the good life. And it was turmoil. It bothered him so bad that one time he went out and he saw the Egyptian slave driver beating one of the Jews and he killed him. Because he, that was his breaking point. And then he ends up escaping from Egypt and runs out to the desert for 40 years. And Hebrews 11:24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. You can circle that word refused. He's not willing to be fake. I'm not willing to pretend. I'm going to be who I really am. See, here's the point I'm driving at. Is only you can be you. Only you can be you. And God wants to use you in a great way. But he can't use you if you're trying to be like me or trying to be like somebody else. He wants you to be comfortable with, this is who I am. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. I'm going to be the best me that I can be. And watch what God does. He wants to use your life to do great things, to influence others in a great direction. I think there's so much stress in the world because sometimes we're trying to pretend to be something that we're not. That creates stress. That's just not who I am. A lot of times it's due to our parents. There are people that are adults still trying to please their parents. You know, I know this guy that all his life his parents wanted him to be a doctor, and it's just not who he is. And even as an adult, he feels guilty all the time. Because he never lived up to what his parents wanted him to be, even though he would be miserable there. He'd be miserable doing what his parents wanted. It'd be miserable for him. He hates that. But he's miserable not doing it because he always feels like a loser when he's with his parents. Sometimes that your parents even die and you keep that guilt feeling. It's not always the parents, it can be all kinds of things. Some people think that they got a raw deal because of who their parents are. But we have to realize, to make you the way that God wanted you to be, it took the perfect exact DNA from both parents to come together. So even if you feel like your parents failed you, those are the two exact people that God needed to be together for you to be here. And God has a great plan for you, for you, to be the best you, and only you can do that. And you might say, well, I don't like what happened in the past, but God did create me with my own gifts and strengths, and I'm going to be something now. 
In John 8, 14, it says, Jesus said, I know where I came from and where I'm going. He knew who he was. He, it was clear to him. And we know what type of life he lived. He impacted the whole world, of course, and still does. There's something about knowing who you are so that you can be and live out what you're supposed to be doing and living out. And it makes life a lot easier. And then you can be that servant leader. Do you know why people don't want to be a servant leader? Is if you're insecure about what people think about you, you can't serve others. You've got to do everything you can to get people convinced uh, that you're a, a great person. So it's pride and arrogance. But when you're secure in what you are, you don't mind serving others. You don't mind doing that because you know who you are. It doesn't matter if someone thinks, why are you doing that? Somebody else should do that. You're too good for that. You're thinking, I'm secure. <laughs> you know, I'm secure in who I am. I can do that, and it's not going to make me feel less of a person. But if you're worried about what people think, then it does make you feel less of a person. Look at John 13, 3 through 5. Jesus knew that he had come from God. So he knew this. I came from God. He knew that. Then it goes on. He also knew that the Father had given him complete power. I've come from God. God has given me complete power. So everybody bow down to me. No, that's not what he said. When you read this, it's kind of an interesting passage. Jesus knew he came from God. He knew that God gave him complete power. So he got up, wrapped a towel around himself, and started washing the disciples' feet. Isn't that odd? Wow. Why did he do that? Because he's secure in who he is. That's what it means. He said, because Jesus knew he was from God, because Jesus was so secure in who he was, it didn't bother him to wash their feet. Now, you know, back in those days, they wore sandals. They had all the animals on the street. You know, you had donkeys and um, horses, camels, whatever you have. The worst job that you could have is washing somebody's feet back in those days. That, you know what that would be like equivalent to? What's your job? I clean toilets. I clean toilets. You know, because cleaning toilets, even though somebody has to do it, and it's not, a, no one should be ashamed to clean toilets, but, you, but it is kind of a dirty job. And sometimes it's dirtier than on some days than on other days. You know, but it's a dirty job. And uh, if you get paid money to clean toilets, it can be pretty good. But when you have to do this just because you want to, you know, pay me a good salary and let's clean toilets. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you understand, he's doing this as a volunteer. He's not getting paid any money. And it's, per, it's a pretty dirty job. What he's doing is accept what God made you to be. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. It's good when people compliment you. But don't take it too seriously. Because you might start thinking too much of yourself. And it's like, it's like the opposite. When people criticize you, don't take it too seriously. Because then you're going to start thinking worse of yourself. Here's what Jesus said in John 5, 41. Your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. Why was he saying this? What he's saying is, I'm secure in who I am. These are my gifts. These are my talents. I'm secure. I can do this and it doesn't bother me. Because my self-image isn't based on your criticisms. My self-image isn't even based on your compliments. My self-image is based on 
God, what do you want me to do? What do you think about me? And when you build your self-image in that relationship with God, you're going to be okay. You're going to head in the right direction. So God wants you and I to lead, to lead people. And it starts with us being comfortable with who we are. If I'm comfortable with who I am, I can lead. If I'm not, then I'll not be a good leader. Second way to influence people is you must accept responsibility. What happens is when you see a problem, you can't have that mindset that somebody has to do something about that. Because that's a mindset that says nothing's going to change. Usually if you're the one that sees that problem, it's because you're the one that's supposed to fix it. Somebody needs to do something about that. Where are you somebody? Yeah, then do something about it. That's a leader. A leader doesn't give excuses. A leader would never say, oh, it's none of my business. It's not my responsibility. No, a leader says a problem that he takes responsibility and he says, let's get this fixed. You initiate change for the better. A leader wouldn't say, I don't have the talent, the time, the opportunity, the money. Because a leader would say, if it's something that needs to get fixed, he would influence people that have the money. Because leadership is influence. He would influence people that have the time. He would influence people that have the opportunity. You might be the leader. Can you imagine you're the leader, you see a problem and you become the leader of that problem and you never get your hands involved in it? Because in your life situation, it's not that you don't want to, but you just can't. Your situation is, you know, I'm working here, I'm doing that, I just can't get to that, but that's a problem. But you use your influence, and through influence, you get the money, you get the people, and you fix the problem. The person that is the leader isn't necessarily the person that does it all, but they influence change for the better in your life and the lives of other people. Proverbs 22 and 13 says, the lazy person is full of excuses. Uh, ben Franklin said, people who are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. So we don't want to be lazy. We don't want to make an excuse. If something needs to change, we want to start thinking, hey, I recognize that needs to change. What can I do to influence that change? Sometimes it is just me doing it. I'll just do it. But sometimes it's not you. You can't do everything. But you can influence this world into a better direction. You know, we're very fortunate. We have a lot to thank God for just being born in this country where you have a lot of freedom. We have freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You know, in some countries you can't just move to wherever you want to live. You have to get permission from the government to say, I want to move from this town to that town. And you have to talk them into it. Why? You know, we, can you imagine that? Living like that? Oh, I would love to move over there, but the government said, no, I better stay here. So we have financial freedom. You have freedom to go to school. I mean, we just have so many freedoms here. I think like this. What does God want us to do with our freedoms that he's given us? Look at Galatians 5.13. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. God's blessed us in this country with so much freedom that we have, we're in a better position to use our freedom to do something good. 
to make things better. In other words, God's blessed us with his freedom, not just so that I can get a bigger house, a nicer boat, move into that nicer neighborhood. Now, if God's blessing you financially, there's nothing wrong with moving to a bigger house. It's not necessarily a sin. There's nothing wrong with that. But a leader thinks like this. How can I use this freedom that God's given me to make things better? You're a servant leader. You're not just thinking about yourself. You're taking responsibility for problems. In Hebrews 11.25, it says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. That short time was his whole life. That's what it meant by a short time. He was willing to be mistreated with the people of God to say, you know what? I'm not Egyptian. I'm Jewish. So he's going to be mistreated with them. He's willing to do that than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, which would have been that short time would have been his whole life. He chose. Circle the chose. He's taking responsibility. He's refusing something. He's saying, I am not Pharaoh's. But he's not just refusing He's choosing. He's choosing the right thing. See, sometimes we say, I'm going to get rid of this negative in my life, and that's good. But usually when you take out something, you need to put something else in. And that's what he's doing. He's taking out a negative, and he's putting in a positive. Being a Christian doesn't mean I just don't do these bad things. These are bad things. I'm not going to do those bad things. That's not what Christianity is. It's more than that. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to do these bad things. Instead, I'm going to use this time to do something good. Because couldn't I be someone that doesn't do bad stuff, but the world's not better because I lived? Think about that. I, don't, I just don't do bad stuff. Is the world any better because I existed? Not at all. Wasted life. But if I said, I'm not going to do these bad stuff, and instead, I'm going to do something good, is the world better because I lived? Yes. Yes. That's what it means. And that is exactly what he's doing. He's not just refusing the bad. He's choosing the good. When Moses was a baby, God chose him. But when he became an adult, he had to choose God. Okay? And it's the same way with you. You might not believe it or not, but God has already chosen you. That's not even the issue. Has God chosen me? Yeah. That's not the, he's waiting to see if you're going to choose him. God's already chosen you. I want to use your life in a great way. Done deal. When you were even a baby, God had already chosen you. The whole rest of your life is about whether or not you're going to choose God. I say, okay, God, you want to use my life for greatness? Okay, I'm willing. Willing. I'm willing to use my gifts and my talents to do something good with my life, to do something worthwhile, to make this world better. That's accepting responsibility. That's what a good leader does. I can't blame others for the direction of my life. Our society wants us to feel like we're victims, to hold us back. We've all been hurt, and some people have been hurt really bad. People have been hurt really bad. But it's a choice to stay there. It's a choice to stay in that hurt. I can be real and say, hey, I was hurt, and I was hurt really bad, and it set me back. 
It took me a while to get my head back in line and get my emotions together. I was devastated. But I refused to stay there. Shame on you for what you did to me. Shame on me if I stay there. So you're not a, I mean, you might have been victimized, but don't stay there. You make a decision. Okay, that happened. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to get healed. And I'm still going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. That's a choice. It's a mentality. In my mind, I choose. The rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. If I don't choose that in my mind, I won't try. If I don't try, guaranteed failure. Guaranteed. So I just choose. I've decided the rest of my life is the best of my life. And that's great for two reasons. If you went through something really bad and your life was really messed up, you get a new start. The rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. It's also good if your life was really good in the past and things were going great. Because sometimes when things are going go, uh, good, we kind of relax and we start coasting and we want the easy life. What happens when you're coasting? You're always going downhill. Nobody coasts uphill. You always coast downhill. So what it does is if you say the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life and things have been going great already, it gets even better. You're pursuing something even better. I think that, that honors God because you're making the most of your life. Because one day you're going to stand before God. And God's going to say, what did you do with your life? You're not going to say, I coasted. Oh, I hope not. That's not the right answer. Look at Romans 14, 12. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. God says, I gave you this personality type. I gave you these different gifts and abilities. I let you go through these different experiences and education and all these life experiences so that you could do something great. And the answer is, did I choose? Did I choose to make something on my life that would make an eternal difference in the lives of people? Then number three, you must set priorities because you don't have time to do everything. You don't. So I say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, but I can't do everything. I can't. It's too much. There's too many problems out there. So I have to clarify what's the most important things, uh, clarify my values. What am I gifted at? What is worth living for? What isn't worth living for? Sometimes we do a lot of good things that prevent us from doing the best things. Have you ever found yourself so busy doing something good that you really don't have time to do something great? And that's the great deception. Well, this is good. It's not bad for me to go home and watch TV three hours a day. I mean, it's, it's not a sin. Like, oh, you sinner, you're watching TV. But it could prevent you from being great. It could stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Because that's a lot of time wasted. Or it could be a waste. In Job 34.4, it says, we should choose to follow what is right. But first, we must define what is good. Very interesting. We want to follow what's right, but first we have to define what is good. So I have to define what are my values? If it's not clear in my mind what my values are and what I'm supposed to be pursuing, then how do I know if I'm successful? I don't have anything to measure it by. Like, I first have to seek God. God, what do you really want me to do? I see my gifts and talents. How can I use that for you? And get it very clear so then you know what to say yes to and you know what to say no to. Without values, you won't know what to say yes to. You'll say yes to the wrong things. You'll say no to the wrong things. In Hebrews eleven twenty six, 26, 
Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You can circle the word regarded. He made a value judgment. He's evaluating his life, and he's saying this is worth living for, and this isn't. He was looking ahead at eternal things. He wasn't thinking short term. He was investing his life in things that really made a difference. What are the values? I think when you're thinking about values, it's helpful to think of what are the values of this world. Because it's too easy for us to follow into those values. If you look at the values of the world, I would say it's, you know, prestige or popularity. I want people to look up to me. I want status. I want to be envied. People live for those things. I mean, that's what they want. Or pleasure. I want to feel good. I want to have fun. It's all about living for pleasure. Possessions. I want to be wealthy. I want to be rich. I want to have that car. I want to have that house. People live. That's the world's value system. That's what they live for. The Bible calls it the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, that's the values of the world. It's what are my eyes lusting for? What is my flesh, my body lusting for? And pride. What makes me feel like I'm better than other people? And those are the same temptations when Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. Those are the same temptations in that story that they were tempted with. The lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, the pride of life. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it's the same three temptations that he had. And then any advertisement that you see, any advertisement, I, I, you can't find one advertisement that doesn't have anything, something in there about the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, or pride. Something, you know, it's very hard to find advertisements like that. In fact, um, recently I've been seeing more and more advertisements coming out that are trying to say, you buy this product and this amount of money is going to help get water to these people. I thought, what a change. I don't, I, I, Ten years ago, I don't ever remember hearing something like that, unless it was some sort of Christian advertisement. But I'm talking about just in the secular world. Uh, you're getting more and more stuff. The values of the world are starting to realize that people want something more than just self-centeredness. People are starting to say, hey, let's have some ethics. Let's have some morals. Let's uh, take our wealth and use it to really help people that are, you know, walking three hours to get water and walking three hours back. Can't we do something about that? So there are getting more and more things being advertised like that. And that's exciting to see how the world's changing. I think that's influence from Christianity. That's influence from the Bible. The Bible's been speaking about this type of thing forever. And now it's getting through and it's getting to the hearts of people. Moses decided to fulfill God's purposes. And that was more important than his popularity. And he was the heir of the throne. He's a celebrity. He had great power. But fame doesn't last. Fame doesn't last. You know, if you live for fame, it's going to let you down. One minute you're a hero. The next minute you're a zero. So that's not where you're going to be happy. Next, when you look at him, we see that loving God's people was more important than pleasure. Moses 
traded that royal lifestyle to hang out with slaves. People are more important than pleasure. And he lived by that. We also see that Moses felt like having God's peace was more important than possessions. Because he had everything. He had the wealth of Egypt. He's in royalty, and he gives this up. Moses gave up everything that Americans live to get. Have you noticed that? Moses gave up everything that we try to live to get. You know, these possessions, these, you know, being important, pleasures. Because we want more money. I want more comfort, more fame, more respect, more status. And Moses rejects all of this to do what he thinks is right. What motivated him? It was his perspective. He was looking at the bigger picture. He was looking at God. If you look at the world, you're not going to get that perspective. He's looking at, God, what do you want for my life? Look at Philippians 3.8. This is Paul. And he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus. As great as those things might seem, the American dream to get this and to get that, they're worthless compared to that relationship that you get with Christ. It puts things in perspective. Sometimes our lives get out of sync. You know that God loves you so much that he'll allow you to go through a really hard time to get your act together. He'll allow you to suffer if that's what it takes for you to get your eyes back to God. Like I can be so busy that I don't have time for God. So I'm going, going, going. And then I get in a car accident and I'm in the hospital. And now all of a sudden I'm like, God, I need help. You know, all of a sudden when we're in sick or hurting, we start praying to God. I need your help now. God will allow bad things to happen to you if it means saving you from yourself. But you don't have to go through that route. You don't have to go through a storm in your life in order to have values. Why not have values now and not have to go through something bad to get your wake-up call and say, my life's out of order. I've got to get it together. Number four, you must focus on eternity. Leaders are long-term thinkers. They're thinking about the eternal difference. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. He's saying, have an eternal perspective. There's traps that you'll fall into if you don't do this. One is discouragement. Because you look at the problems, you get overwhelmed. People criticize you and then you get discouraged. And the other one is pride. Like I said earlier, you start listening to what people say about you if it's good stuff, and then you become prideful, arrogant, and then you start thinking, I deserve these pleasures. I deserve these possessions. I deserve this prestige. Instead of realizing these are gifts from God. These are gifts from God. Not because I deserve them, but God just loves me, and I can use them for good. For my good, there's nothing wrong with that for the good of your family, and for the good of other people. And then you're grateful. because you don't, It's not that you think you deserve it. You just realize, God's been gracious to me. He allowed me to be born in America. He allowed this to happen. He allowed me to get this education. He allowed that to happen. And then you think, thank you, God. 
Because you know in any moment of your life, something could have happened that changed your whole course of life. Like I said, that accident, whatever. And you're thankful. And when you have a thankful heart, you approach it so differently. And then you have the right perspective that you need. In Hebrews 11, 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. That's how he did it. He was trusting God. How was he able to leave all that he had? Because he trusted God. Because my eyes are on God. Let me ask you. This could happen. You know, one time Jesus told a rich man to give up everything he had. Give it all to the poor and follow me. He told one guy to do that. Now, he's not telling everybody to do that. But it does make you think. If God said to me, I want to use your life for greatness. And I say, great. What does that mean? And he says, I want you to give up everything you have. And I'm going to use you on a mission field in the Middle East. And it's going to be really rough. But as a result of you going there, it's going to be a big sacrifice and a heartache. But as a result of you going there, it's going to change the world for the good. Okay, God, uh, I think you better talk to somebody else. That's what a lot of people do. God, I think you need to talk to somebody else. What it means is when you keep your eyes on God, you trust him so much that you say yes. That you say yes because of trust. God, I, I trust you. If you say that this is what I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. Most likely, that's not what God's going to tell you to do. But the point is, do you have the heart that you're willing? Whatever it is, God, I'll do what you want me to do no matter what it is. <coughs> you know what leadership is? It's being persistent. It's not giving up. It's being determined. It's endurance. You keep trying. You keep going. You never stop. You say, this is what God wants, and I'm not going to give up. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing? In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. Keeping their eyes on Jesus. It's like you're in a race, and you're keeping your eyes on the finish line, and you're not going to stop till you get there. And even if you fall down, you're going to get back up as fast as you can, and you're going to keep going. You're going to keep believing. You're going to keep running ahead. How do I start? How do I really start being the leader that God wants me to be there's only one way. God, this is my life. I'll do whatever you want. Whatever. You can't say this. God, tell me what you want, and I'll decide if I'm going to do it. You know what that means? That means he's not the leader of your life. You're still trying to be the leader of your own life. There's only one way. You say, God, I'm surrendering. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever it is. I'm going to trust you. Whatever it is. And once you do that... Once you start looking at your gifts and your heart's passion, because God wired you this way, and your abilities, and the personality type that you have, and the type of experiences that you've had, you start finding out it's not that hard to start discovering what God wants me to do, because he's probably already given you everything you need. I'm good at doing this. I'm good at art. You know, whatever it is, you can use art for God. I'm good at art. I'm good at music. 
I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Whatever it is. You know, I have a passion. Like, I, I love teaching. I have a passion for college students. Well, that probably means maybe you should teach college students, right, if that's where your passion is. Um, I have these type of abilities. My personality is more reserved. I like to teach in a small group. My personality is different. I like to teach in a large group. But, you know, different people, I have, you know, different experiences. I used to be an alcoholic. Now I'm using that to help people that are in that situation because of the experience I had. So everybody has different experiences. Everybody has different stuff that's happened in their life. What I'm trying to say is, you say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And then the answer is probably already there. Just look at your gifts, your heart's passion, your abilities, your personality type, your past experiences. The answer is probably already there. And then what you do, you can't be 100% sure, but you say, by faith, I'm going to just step out and try and watch what happens. God wants you to lead. God wants you to make an eternal difference in this world. When you die, you want to die knowing that when you're up in heaven, my life made a difference. The world is better because of me. The world is better because of you. That's what God wants. Sometimes God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed because it will be a blessing for your life. It will be the best thing that ever happens in you and to you. So with that, let's pray. Father, as I look at our church family and the people here, we have so much potential. Lord, men and women here that have the ability to be world-class leaders, to just do awesome things. But sometimes we disqualify ourselves. We somehow think we're not good enough or that God, God could never use me in a great way. And Lord, today, I'm asking that each of us, as we're praying together, that we'll each make a commitment. God, I'm willing to be used. I'm going to look at my gifts and talents and take a step of faith, but I'm trusting that you're going to use my life to make a positive difference in this world. I want the world to be better because of me. It's in Jesus' name that we all make this commitment. Amen.